The Silver and Black are back in Oakland next season, or, or should I say they never left? Well, with Ian Rapport putting out the news this week that the Raiders have agreed to terms with the Oakland Coliseum to play their next season, there's no one to speak with who would know more about the Raiders franchise and its connection to the Oakland community than the Princess of Darkness herself, former Raiders CEO Amy Trask. I am here to speak with her right now. She's joining me today, Amy. Welcome and hi. Well, thank you for saying hi. Thank you for using my nickname. Um, I will take a moment of your time uh, to tell you that I think it's the best nickname ever. I shall (laughs) cherish it forever and ever. And I do hope it scares you just a bit. Well, it doesn't scare me. Well, maybe a little bit. Yeah, you know, actually, yeah, a little bit. I, I really like it, too. I think it's probably one of the best names in all of sports or anywhere. So I agree with you on that one. And not originally bestowed upon me as a compliment, mind you. Uh, but I embraced it. Raider Nation embraced it. Together we embraced it. So even though not intended as a compliment, I love it. Well, that's as far as non-complimentary names go. I mean, come on, that's <laughs> that's pretty badass. So, Good all right. So the Raiders staying in Oakland, just right off the top, what does this mean to the Oakland community? What does it mean to the the Raiders franchise that they they at least are there for their where the for this season when they are originally supposed to be there and not leaving prematurely as they were thinking they might do last season? Well, it makes all the sense in the world for any number of reasons. Uh, My experience in the NFL is that, and this is not Raider specific, by the way, this has to do with conversations with many, many, many teams. Um, Coaches and, and, and football organizations don't like what they would call disruption or distraction. And I take big issue with some of the things that some teams label distractions or disruptions because they really shouldn't be treated as such. But teams don't want to travel every single week or they don't want an interim location. Uh, There's a lot of logistics associated with that. So from a logistical and a practical standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. For the Oakland community, the people that work there on game days, it means another year of many, many, many jobs in the community. And that's to the benefit of everyone who works there and is employed in and around the stadium on game day. And for the fans, um, I, you know, I am thrilled for the fans in Oakland, those that are choosing to go again in what might be the team's final year in Oakland, that they will have this final year. And I hope that the Raider organization uses this year to show tremendous, tremendous appreciation and express gratitude and thanks to those fans in the Bay Area, some of whom are going to follow the team and travel with it to Las Vegas, some of whom won't. But it's a wonderful opportunity to make each and every week a thank you to the fans for the support that they have given that organization through thick and thin. Absolutely. That's, I, that's kind of what my thinking was as well. I mean, the, the Raiders are Oakland. Oakland is the Raiders, even though they won't be for much longer. And uh, you want to give them... You want that to you want this to be their farewell tour as opposed to that kind of that jarring farewell potentially farewell game type of situation they had last year, which was just uh, it was ridiculous. Um, I, you know, you speak of you speak of it being a distraction, and, and in general, it is a distraction. How much of a distraction do you think it would be 
being that the combine is starting right now, this is when everything kind of ramps up. How big of a deal do you think it is that John Gruden and Mike Mayock can go into the camp and into the combine with this news already out there that they're staying and it's just one like an elephant out of the room? Well, that's a good way to express it. Elephant out of the room or elephant out of the corner or wherever the elephant was supposed to be, the elephant's not there or he is there or however that elephant thing works. Um, I've always, and, and I'm sorry I sort of went down the distraction alley because I don't want to derail this discussion, but I've always taken great, great issue with some of the things that coaches and others in an organization label distractions. I remember one interaction I had with uh, one of our coaches at a time where he threw, he pitched an absolute fit because there weren't the right candy bars on the team plane, and he labeled that a distraction. And, you know, that is just one example of many. And I looked at him and I said, if you're going to label the absence of a certain kind of candy bar on a team plane as a distraction, we've got some big, big problems because that is not a distraction. So, you know, I do take issue with some of the things that teams label distractions. But in this instance, I think, you know, I I might use the word disruptive or a disruption instead, because the fact is, You'd have to find another place to play and you'd have to worry about logistics and, you know, what is the drive time? Would it have been Santa Clara? You know, obviously San Francisco, the the municipality didn't want the team there and there were the issues of the 49ers. Would it be Santa Clara? Would it be somewhere else? They're just operational logistics. And while they're easily solvable and sort of quintessential first world problems, coaches don't like those things. So, this is the elephant out of the corner or in the corner or wherever the elephant is supposed to be, he is. Do you think Gruden um, pushed for this, pushed the, for them to stay in Oakland? Do you think he had a say uh, yeah. in that? Um, I, I want to be very, very um, clear and disclose that I don't know the answer to that. But certainly um, my experience working with John for the years I worked with him suggests to me that you know, this would be staying in Oakland would be very, very important to him, and he would have urged that strongly. Okay, so we know what uh, what brought all this on. It was the city of Oakland filing their lawsuit, their antitrust lawsuit against uh, against the Raiders and the NFL. From what you've seen of this lawsuit or anything, do you think that they have a case? You want to hear the very, very best part of my answer to that question? I haven't even looked at that lawsuit. I am aware. I mean, how fun is that? I'm like that little, you know, my, my Twitter village taught me about, I, I asked at one point when I was new on Twitter, what does it mean when people tweet out the little green frog sipping tea? And Twitter village explained to me what that means. So my answer right now may strike you that I, um, I'm that little green frog drinking tea, but I, of course, I'm aware that the lawsuit was filed. Um, I know that there are very, very serious ramifications within league rules and policies when a lawsuit is filed, but I have not read the complaint, so I certainly can't weigh into the merits. And just let me tell you that when I am saying the words, I have not read the complaint, I am smiling ear to ear because I don't have to read the complaint. Yeah, I imagine when you were with the as a CEO of the Raiders, you would have had to have combed over every single detail of this complaint. Now you can just... Oh hands off completely on this whole thing agreed and agreed (laughs) 
So, I mean, in the meantime, before we before we came back around to Oakland, there were all kinds of different locations that were brought up from London to Oak, um, to San Diego to Santa Clara. I mean, how realistic do you think any of those locations were, or were, did you were you like me and just kind of figured eventually this would end up working out coming back to Oakland? Well, I'll answer the, the latter part of that question first. I did think eventually it would end up back in Oakland. I think that makes all the sense in the world. And when I talked about this on CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network, people pushed back and said, but there's a lawsuit pending. To which I, I explained, parties to lawsuits do business with one another all the time. They enter what's called a reservation of rights agreement, which essentially states, look, we're involved in litigation. We have these disputes with one another. We're reserving our rights within those disputes to assert what we want. We're not waiving any of our rights, but we're going to do business together going forward. And, and parties do that all the time. So I thought not only did it make the most sense to stay in Oakland, I thought it would happen. As to alternate locations, um, there were some that just struck me as very, very, very silly or, you know, <laughs> not silly in the sense that they're not good locations, but just didn't see it happening. And, you know, Levi, Levi I want to take one second to make a point that um, I, I shall always, always, always cherish every moment I spent with Radio Nation. Um, some of the most special moments I had over my career and it was a career of special moments were with the fans. So I do want to be careful to say that I recognize there are fans all over the world. And it's funny that when I speak of the Oakland-based fans, the East Bay fans, the Bay Area fans, and I speak to their heartache, people push back and say, well, Amy, there's other fans that are excited that the team is moving. I get that. And it's not mutually exclusive for me to want all fans to be happy and recognize that that can't be the case. Understood. It's a kind of a, a line that you walk, whether you're, you know, you or the Raiders or all the fans, because you, you, you talk about that, you know, the Oakland community, and then you talk about Raider Nation and you know, taking pride in the fact that the fan base is so vast. And, and unfortunately, in some ways, that kind of works against the idea that they belong to a specific community. And so it's a, it's a, it's a line that you walk as a, as somebody who's involved with the Raiders in any way, I understand that for sure. So um, you mentioned before, like a couple months ago when this whole thing first came down, and I, I'd like if you could just to kind of run over it again, exactly what your recommendation was that the Raiders do for the fans for that farewell game, uh, what that is. And, and now that they have a year to think about it again, do you think they will do something like that? I don't know what the organization has in mind, but they now have an entire season to implement some of the things I suggested. And again, I want to be very careful to say that telling a group of fans who are saddened that you're leaving, that you appreciate them, that you thank them for their support is not mutually exclusive with saying to the fans who are thrilled with the move, they're coming and, and you're going to get to enjoy them when they're there. But what I would recommend doing and what I would be urging to, you know, in my loudest voice possible where I still with the organization is that every single game be an opportunity to express appreciation and thanks for the years spent in Oakland. And there's all sorts of ways to do that. And when I made some of those suggestions on CBS Sports Network, people pushed back with, well, that'll cost a lot of money. Yeah, I get it. I understand finances of football teams or that'll take a lot of security. Yeah, I get it. 
Um, there are magnificent security people. Casey Nice from the Alameda County Sheriff's Department does a magnificent job with security at the facility. All of those things can be worked around. But, you know, why not have drawings to allow fans down on the field, that fans that might not otherwise um, be able to go there? Why not have, and I say drawings because you can't let every fan down, and maybe every week you let a couple of, you know, different groups of fans down, or access to the players post-game, do things pre-game by way of concerts in the parking lot. We once did that with Metallica in the parking lot. Why not embrace all of the Bay Area musicians who have supported the Raiders, as well as people like Ice Cube, the president of Raider Nation, who, while not based in the Bay Area, has performed at Raider Games. Why not have Hammer and Too Short and Ice Cube and and Adam Durrett and Metallica, and I don't want to forget any names, but why not do events in the parking lot before the game? And why not have drawings to allow the fans to have access to interact with players when they might not otherwise do it? And how about some gifts for the fans that go beyond sort of a traditional season ticket holder gift? All of those are ideas worth considering. Absolutely. I totally agree. And uh, with the news of the Raiders uh, re agreeing to a deal and getting Amy on the phone, I think Ice Cube is the perfect reference because today was a good day. Thank you again uh, for joining me, Amy. <laughs> thank you for having me. And I start. I, I, I started to, to just shout out, what a wonderful way I got to join you on your podcast. We got to talk about the wonderful fans, and you gave Ice Cube a shout out. I mean, <laughs> does it get much better than this? It, it may not. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> we'll go with this for now. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. That was the Princess of Darkness, Amy Trask, on the line with us at the Sliver and Black Pridecast. She, um, as I mentioned, was the CEO of the Raiders, and she is currently an analyst for CBS Sports, and she does uh, an absolutely amazing job at that, extremely well-respected in the business. Uh, she has her book, You Negotiate Like a Girl, which is just a fantastic read, and I highly recommend it as well. And with that, um, we bring in my partner in crime, Tyler Smith, to talk a little more about this. Tyler, how's it going? It's going great. And I got to say, any day you can talk to Amy Trask is a good day. And we didn't even have to use our AK. No. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> I was like, sorry, that was like the, like the, um, I don't want to say the whitest way I've ever heard that phrase ever said, but uh, I guess I'm that's pretty, white. pretty much what pretty much what I meant to say. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, I'm not exactly not white myself. So um, anyway, so I know I have a few thoughts on what uh, Amy said today. Uh, what did you uh, did you uh, glean from what you heard from Amy today? Well, I think one of the things that she touched on um, that interested me was the the prospect of a team sort of being in flux and being transient and traveling all the time, uh, or just not knowing where they're going to be from year to year, from week to week. And the Raiders have had a situation sort of like that for the past couple of seasons. They knew they're going to be moving. And also for the past several seasons, they've gone to a foreign country uh, for at least one game a year. And that's a lot of travel to put on a team. Uh, and when they go to Vegas, they're not really going to have that anymore. And it's also really nice to know where they're going to be, at least for the next season. 
so the, the deal getting done with the Oakland Coliseum, I think, is, is great for them, is great for their mindset, is great for their ability to, to prepare on a week-to-week basis. It's interesting. I, all along, it just from the from the word go, when we heard the reports that Mark Davis or someone within the Raiders had said there was, I think I think the quote was, "No way they were playing in Oakland next season." I had I kind of had to give that a little bit of a side eye, because it just seemed like you know when cooler heads prevail, as they like to say, or basically when your options run out or you realize you never really had a lot of options in the first place. Um, it kind of comes back to why would we put ourselves through the ringer and jump through a whole bunch of unnecessary hoops in order just to you know stick it to the people who are suing you in Oakland or you're basically burning down your own house to kill a rat, as they say. Uh, it just didn't seem to make any sense. It was uh, even at the raised rate that the Coliseum was asking, um, it's still probably going to be cheaper perhaps considerably cheaper than playing anywhere else. And, and you just don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to change anything. You just go back to what you were originally planning on doing and, and you know, all the logistics and everything. It just seemed like such a, such a bad idea to even consider going someplace else that it just didn't seem like it was logically going to happen. Well, it seemed to me like the Raiders believe they were going to be able to find somewhere else to play without too much difficulty. And that turned out not to be the case uh, because you end up thinking about places like, like England and you end up thinking about other places in the Bay area. And if you, if you look at other places in the Bay area, the Niners have territorial rights to a whole lot of them. So if you want to play in San Francisco or, or even South of that, you're going to encounter the Niners being able to put the kibosh on any of that. So in the end, it seemed like the Coliseum itself just, going back there and bending the knee or however you want to describe it was the only uh, legitimate option left. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when the A's over the years were trying to leave town and when, like when they were trying to go down to San Jose and they, and uh, just kept getting pushed back to the, the Coliseum because the Raiders are leaving most likely in a year anyway. So it's, it's, it's not like, um, the Oakland community is entirely is winning altogether They're They're eventually, they know that they see the, the end of the road is coming. It's just a matter of having a little bit, having the time they expected to have before it inevitably happens. So what do you, uh, um, what do you suppose we can expect from what uh, Amy was talking about? Or she was saying that she thinks that uh, every game should be, um, another salute to the fans, a farewell tour type of deal as they, you know, just try to make them feel somewhat appreciated on their way out the door. Well, I think her ideas about having uh, musicians play and having concerts and having more fan access is fantastic. I remember watching uh, a video on YouTube several months ago. I watched this and it was a Metallica concert in the Coliseum parking lot before a playoff game, like I believe against the Titans. Uh, and they played and they were great and there were tons of people out there enjoying it. There are more than enough musicians from the Bay Area who I'm sure would be happy to, to fill those spots. I mean, the Giants get uh, for their, to play the national anthem just to play before baseball games. They get local musicians all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Metallica out there playing the national anthem before a Giants game. And there's no reason the Raiders can't do that very same thing. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty much. Uh, I, Mamie had kind of mentioned that Metallica concert, and I remember seeing the uh, the footage as well. I didn't see it 
live myself or anything, but I do remember seeing that footage. And um, and that's the thing is when people say something like it would be too expensive, not necessarily. A lot of these a lot of these groups might be just might be willing to do it for free even like or for very cheap. I see MC Hammer on the sidelines at Raider games all the time. You hand him a microphone, he'll sing one of his songs. It's it's just uh it's publicity for them. It's not that much time out of their day or their, you know, their life. If you you think about it in terms of like for instance when a team plays at the halftime of the Super Bowl, those those bands don't get paid to perform at the halftime of the Super Bowl. They get all they get is they get reimbursed for what it costs to to put on to to get there and to put on the show and stuff like that. And otherwise, that's just they just say I want to I want to be the halftime show because it's good for my brand. It's good for you know album sales and concert sales and whatnot. And uh, you know it could be the same thing for some of these local artists. Well, I think um, one of the things that uh, I like. I heard recently was the possibility that, and I've kind of thought thought about this, and and the people that are rumoring this could just be going with their gut feeling as well. That if the Raiders are back in, are for sure in Oakland, maybe uh, maybe Marshawn will sign back on for another season. That's kind of exciting to me. Yeah, I mean the guy is a Raider at heart, and as long as he can go, why not have him go? He, he was hurt last year, but he's had plenty of time to recover, so. I mean, they'll have to take a good hard look at that. But, you know, I hope they get some uh, some running back help in the draft. But another year of Marshawn Lynch before he retires certainly couldn't hurt. Yeah, you want to talk about, like, farewell to Oakland fans. One way to do that is to put Oakland's finest on the field every every week. Although you kind of wonder that lighting a blunt on the Al Davis torch, whether that might be something that would come back to haunt him if he decided he wanted to lace him up again. And they may, might be like, you know, we were let the, we were going to let that go when you weren't going to play another down. But now that you are, I don't know. I don't know if they could actually. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if, if nine out of 10 of the Raider fans in the stadium at the time wouldn't have done the same thing. Well, but those are fans. You can't suspend, you can't suspend a fan for uh well, maybe you can from that, from the stadium, but I mean, like he's, he's got to adhere to NFL rules. And at the time he was still under contract, even though he was injured by an NFL team when he, when that happened. So, you know, you have to wonder if Goodell will, um, wave his big hammer and and punish him for something like that. Yeah, you'd hope not. I'd like to see him be able to make that decision without having to worry about whether it comes with any kind of suspension or anything like that. Well, uh, the combine has started. That means we're gonna that everything's gonna be ramping up. We got trade conversations happening because all the NFL brass are talking to each other and wheeling and dealing, and the prospects are coming into a into uh into indianapolis anything you uh you looking forward to i am really really looking forward to the wide receiver combines um seeing how they test out seeing how their hands are seeing how their route running is there's a lot of really solid drills that can tell you a lot about how fluid a guy's hips are um you know how how well they can catch how well they can change direction really quickly uh, i'm looking forward to the defensive line drills i think we have mock drafts now with a certain order of players uh, but those are all pre-combine mocks, and that's all going to change. In the next week, those could be completely different. So I'm really looking forward to see who distinguishes themselves, both on offensive and defensive lines, 
uh, and how much the mock drafts change from this week to next week. It's really kind of crazy to me, honestly, that that combine. I mean, just today, John Ross was rumored to be is reportedly on the trade block, and two years ago. He lit up the combine, the 4.2140, and that got he got drafted at ninth overall because of that. And now, and now that's just two years ago. And now he's he's got a, like a total of 210 yards receiving in two seasons. The first season being shortened by by uh, by an injury, and and he's on the trade block. I mean, you you gotta you gotta think, and also being you know being that we followed the Raiders for as long as we have, and we've seen these. These guys shoot up draft boards based on their combine numbers. And most, in most cases, it just doesn't uh, seem like a good judge of what type of player they're going to be. Just kind of wonder when you talk about these players, how they change on mock drafts after the combine, how realistic that is. Well, I watched a lot of John Ross in college. I watched plenty of Pac-12 games, plenty of Washington games. And he was a one-trick pony in college for the most part. He could go deep and he could split the safeties. And you throw him the ball, and he'll go get it. Uh, in the NFL, that doesn't quite work as well. So you have to watch the tape on these guys to really get a sense of what they can do. Their measurables will only tell you so much. What they can actually legitimately do on the football field could be something completely different. We've seen guys not do well in the combine and do just fine in the NFL. Um, Orlando Brown, for instance, for the Ravens last year, could not do anything well in the combine. It looked like he'd never played football before. On the field, for the Ravens, pretty darn good. Not bad. Not a detriment to the team, as one might have expected. And then we've seen guys like John Ross, like Mike Mamula, go out and blow the combine away and then not have a career. So you really have to balance it with their actual tape. Yeah, it's, it, and I think you also have to consider the fact that, I mean, some things like, like a 40 time for an offensive lineman is about as useless as it gets. It's like it's judging an elephant on his ability to climb a tree. It's just it's not going to tell you anything valuable. So you basically have to you have to think about the drill with regard to the position the player plays at. So like 40 time will be good for maybe receivers and cornerbacks mostly. Maybe you can throw some linebackers in there that have to drop back in the coverage and stuff like that. I, I'm not, not just cornerbacks, but defensive backs, so safeties as well. And and then you uh, you include like the vertical and broad jump in that because that's leg strength and whatnot and leaping ability. But uh, for the offensive linemen, I, you have their their individual drills that are just for them. Um, that that I think scouts would be looking at the most, and maybe maybe the bench press to see what kind of upper body strength they have. And other than that, those physical drills can be from between misleading and downright useless. And I agree with you. Um, I love those receiver drills. They they are definitely my favorite. That gauntlet drill is the most exciting. I'll watch that over and over again um, because I'm sad and have no life otherwise. So that's the only possible explanation why I would want to watch I'm, that as many I'm times as right I do. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. That stuff is cracked if somebody doesn't <laughs> have a life and just loves football unconditionally. All right. So, yeah, those start, uh, those start on Friday. They actually take the field right now. They're doing medical stuff and interviews. And, and tomorrow, um, I think it's Mayock comes to the podium first. Uh, and then the next day, it's, it's, it's Gruden comes to the podium. And uh, so we got to full week of interesting stuff happening at the combine good to uh get that started with um with the news of the raiders staying in oakland to get that out of the way no doubt uh 
Mayock and Gruden will be asked about it anyway because people want to hear what they have to say now that it's said and done. But uh, thanks, thanks, Tyler, for your input. And, uh, and again, Amy, I'd like to thank you for coming on with us. It is a tremendous, tremendous honor to speak with you as always. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Silver and Black Pridecast. Cast. <laughs>